Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to start talking about what does it mean to be human? How are we human? I don't know. We're still figuring it out. We're figuring a lot of things out. I'm Craig. <laughs> and I'm Carla. And we're trying to understand being human from the perspective, perspective of God's story in the Bible. It's more than just being a species like Homo sapiens. We think it's about community, about relationships, and about welcoming. We're figuring it out, still. So, join us as we do. Because we're not holier than you. Oh, I didn't want that to rhyme. Hi, we are back. I'm Carla. And I'm still Craig. And we are not holier than you. This is our fourth episode. I was just wondering about that. And we have been talking about what it means to be human and have gone back to the story in Genesis, particularly verses 26 and 27, where God has created humanity in God's image and that we uh, together as humans carry the full expression of the image of God within ourselves, especially in uh, relationship with one another. We've looked at the an, another uh, origin story where humans are put on earth to serve the gods, whereas in the story from Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2, it's more that humans are here to be in relationship with God and with one another. And so we have a little experiment for you. And Craig, maybe you want to uh, just uh, preface that a little bit. Well, I think what I want to try and do is play an audio clip and just let it just be there Okay. and see how react or respond to it. And then we'll talk about it later when we all come together and have a conversation. Okay, so please listen to this. It's a little, I don't know how long it is, but you to be thinking about what uh, what your reaction to it was, what your response to it is, and to keep that in mind. And, and, and also think about the why. Why did you respond the way you responded? Okay. Or what's the why about it? Okay. And then we were thinking of a question um, 
do we have the ability or are we able to reflect the image of God through our empathy? And so that's a question I think that we'll be kind of thinking about. Um, so when Adam and Eve, well, and they weren't named Adam and Eve at this point, they are expelled, I guess you could say, from the garden and God sets up guards to keep them from re-entering the garden. And there's some consequences. Do you want to give us a little overview of some of the consequences of this uh, being expelled? You know, I, I, in some ways, the consequences of being expelled uh, sets up what, I guess, in family systems theory, that kind of psychological counseling, therapeutic you know, languages that we, we tend to pass along some of the worst things that we do, as well as the positive, but those yeah. it's not just genetic things that gets passed on, it's behaviors and ways of functioning in this world. Okay. And so if you remember, Eden was at the top of the hill because all the rivers flowed out from it. Right. And so, I don't know, maybe this is where the phrase came from, it's all downhill from there, as far as, not downhill like easy going, but downhill like things are falling apart. Okay, it's like so, the, the wheels begin to fall off at so this point. <laughs> what's maybe the first one that, that we begin to see the wheel falling off? So, you know, is it, so if, if Adam and Eve, you know, they, if they were looking for a way to make wise choices on their own without going back to God, mm -hmm. rather grab that tree and that fruit and do it on their own, that tendency to like do it my way gets passed on and you got Cain and Abel now. Okay, and and children. Those they're, are their offspring. They're children, but at some point they're old enough to be carrying weapons, I guess. Because and thinking for themselves. <laughs> Cain, you know, sees that perhaps his brother is 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 I wanna say being maybe not necessarily being a favorite, but there's something that he does that's approved. Okay. And and jealousy is perhaps the first response and it maybe it isn't even the favoritism. It's just I don't like being left out. And so Cain kills his brother. Right. And, and, and you know, the, the earth cries out because this is the first shed blood. And the earth itself cries out. I think that's just an important poetic thing to think about. The earth is not a silent witness. The earth itself is a participant. That's interesting. I never, I never thought of that before, of the earth crying out. And it's also where we get that statement when uh, Cain says, What am I, my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so this this um, brokenness continues, and later there comes this guy named Lamech. Yes. And Lamech, his boast isn't like, "Hey, I I I'm, I got all this good stuff." His boast is, "Cain killed, I can kill like what seventy times more." Right. I mean, his his boast is in his ability to inflict pain and and death on others, which in some ways in our militarized uh, he-man mentality of the 21st century here he, he's like you know fits he, into he could be a hero he would be a hero he would yeah. be a hero and and yet he'd be and, you know, rambo i guess you know so. <laughs> yeah and and yet uh it, it's coming from this place of where the earth cried out and he doesn't we he seems to be removed from that idea that the earth cried out yeah and 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 the the um, problems only get worse from there until, you know, we have this situation where God looks at earth and goes, I want to start 
over <laughs> and wash it all away and we get the story of the flood right and you love this word here that never gets used antediluvian oh the antediluvian context yeah a-n-t-e-d-i-l-u-v-i-a-n before the deluge is that right. what you yeah so this antediluvian there's a it's an interesting section of the story just to look at there's even these uh angelic beasts that come and create a whole new race uh of of humans because they saw the women were lovely and right the uh naphtali the naphtali right no nephilim yeah nephilim. And, and you get these incredible uh stories that are going on uh but it like is giants giant. they're giants, they're yeah. giants. And, but the world is spinning out of control. control more and more people are relying on themselves and their thinking and their way of doing things than reflecting on god and what god would and, want them to do and, and one of the other elements here that, that it just dawned on me is why do they begin treating each other this way they, Cain did? well no, or... they, they all have something that is a limited resource their lives because no longer is the tree of life available to them and having that knowledge of good and evil has somehow been corrupted in them and, and one of the things that pervades almost all philosophical discourse is one of the the things that the only things that, he, that humanity truly shares is its fear of death and and when you fear death you want to hold on to life at all costs perhaps over and against somebody else and, and we see in the stories how long people are living yeah that's another and, living and hundreds you know, of years yeah i don't know what to make of that don't um, well i remember a chemistry teacher telling me that we were actually meant to live a long period of time over 100 years and the things we do to ourselves often shorten and, our lifespan and, and you look at the way you know in the antediluvian context you have these excessively long lives and in the i guess it would be the post-diluvian context you end up having much shorter lives it's it's almost as if perhaps there was a time when things were not so bad and life was longer yes but the accumulation of devastation and oppression and violence eventually shortens our our life i don't know yeah. i don't want to get too much into that but i think that's a that's a that's one of those differences between the before and the after the flood okay and it, and it does a lot of taking over taking over the world and turning making it more chaotic right and so, and so we have the flood right and we have noah right and you said that um at one point that that might be a good thing the flood is that what you were thinking uh, i don't know if it's a or, good thing oh okay i mean but, but but what about noah so so it's the, we we have this flood to clean the earth and start again start. and so noah and his family are you know they their ark comes to rest on a mountain. On a mountain. Yes. And a mountain's not just a mountain. It's a holy place. It's a holy place. And with this idea of starting again, it's this idea that maybe this will be Eden. And if we start up here in this holy place, we can help stay holy. I, yeah, I don't think it was a choice, like, oh, let's stay on the mountain. But we end up getting this slight replay or, or an echo, perhaps, of Eden. Because they're on the mountain, they begin cultivating, they have vineyards. 
You know, it's almost as if they're practicing what was intended to be practiced with Adam and Eve in the garden. And in that sense that as we move down the mountain uh, with this cultivation, will it won't be so downhill. But, we can help our, we can help things move in a better way. But it doesn't last. Okay, it doesn't last. And what so, happens? And so Noah gets drunk. He's passed out naked. One of his kids finds him that way, which is incredibly humiliating to Noah. And he gets really upset, basically curses his son, blesses the others. And, I think it's Ham, isn't and, it? <laughs> and, and then we get into to, uh, chapter 10, where we now find out the stories, chapter 10 of Genesis, where we find the stories of the sons and their lineage. And all we see is dispersion. They're mm -hmm. all being spread out and they're all moving away from each other. And, and, and again, when we look back at the original uh, time when when the man and the woman have um, seen, uh, taken of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, they move away from each other and therefore we see a broken, not clear sense of who God is, who the image of God in one another. Maybe that's a better way to put it. That's an excellent connection. Is it? So this dispersion across the world in chapter 10 isn't yeah. about, oh, we just need more room to cultivate our crops and to farm or whatever. That sounds like a very realistic way of explaining it. But I think what it is, is what you're referring to. It is this moving away from each other, breaking of relationship, uh, severing those connections and going out and doing it our own, which was part of that first problem anyway, trying to do it on our own. Right, right. <laughs> and even though they may be going into a in, into this dispersion with people they know, at the same time, they're removing themselves from people who helped form them as family. And that family is being broken apart. That whole idea of being the family of God. And so, if God's family is all broken apart, uh, you know, how does how does God start bringing them back together again? Yeah, and that's a good question. And so that kind of comes soon after what Genesis eleven twelve. <laughs> yes, excuse me. In, in Genesis twelve. Okay. We have a guy named Abram. Yep. And, and his wife Sarai. Mm -hmm. And and what we have with them, and this is. People find fault that God's playing favorites and decides that this family, they're the ones that are going to do all the good stuff. Everybody else can just go to, you know, go to, well, Sheol in, the, in mm -hmm. that sense. But, you know, I'm only really like one group. And that's, I don't think the story is told that way. My hunch is the story really, really is God is trying to talk to everybody and try to call everybody. But this one guy who's hanging out in an oak grove called Mamra, I think it is, he like responds. He responds and he says, yeah, okay, let's let's talk about this. Yeah. So I mean, if you go someplace, well, I, last year I was at Walmart and there was somebody demonstrating uh, paring knives and said, free paring knife for whoever shows up, you know. Oh, that sounds like a good deal. What's interesting, <laughs> the whole store didn't show up. Okay. <laughs> Only a few people responded. It's not like those people who showed up, myself included, that got a free paring knife. We weren't special. You know, it wasn't that the person chose us in excluding others. You answered the call. 
just responded. Yeah. 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 You answered the call. And you so, picked up the phones. And, and so there is this kind of exclusivity assumption with Abraham and Sarah that isn't exclusive. Isn't fair. It's open to everyone, but they responded to the call. Okay. They're not just, they're not the chosen of God because God said, I'm only choosing you. But there was that response. Um, God called, they responded, and um, no one else did. So right. God Correct. continues on that story with them. And the, the, the term chosen is also interpreted as, or translated as the elect, the elect of God. Hmm. And election isn't something like we think of, you know, put, casting votes and having some determination at the end. Election meant to be have something bestowed on one. And so what they're actually chosen for, what they're elected for, is a is to do something. Okay. And to be a, to, to be of the elect means to be of those who've been commissioned. Okay, who've been commissioned. And yet, unfortunately, because we have had some theology in our background where the elect are like the only ones who are going to be allowed to do something or uh, there's specially chosen we, we kind of have this mixed or, or this wrong idea of what that election means yeah yeah it's it's so if you think of voting for somebody and they win the vote um we say they've been elected but the thing is they've been elected to do something okay and that term elected um i would say during the reformation era especially but even before then was also assumed to mean some chosen while others are not. And those who are not chosen yes. are left to perdition and, yes. the, uh, and only the others have entrance into heaven. Right. And that, and that kind of has skewed, I think, what we tend to think of and tend to believe as to how God is providing a way to repair and redeem and bring us back to Eden, to, to repair the damage that was done. And one of those, uh, I think he was in during the Reformation, but maybe a little later, was John Calvin. Yeah. Not our favorite theologian in the world. We, we're not real big on the, the tulip theology. But, do you want to go into tulip? No, I don't. Okay, I, right. I don't know enough about it. I just know the word. And it, each letter stands for something to help people who follow John Calvin remember how degraded they are. But, yeah. um, and it's tulip is in the flower, not as in how, yeah, many, how, many, how many lips are on your face. Right. Yeah. And so his... his um, Theology is called the Institutes of the Christian Religion or John the Institutes. Calvin. Yeah, John Calvin's Institutes is what they're known as. And you pointed out to me that he starts off in a way that really, though, even though some of the other parts of his theology were going, well, we're not so sure we feel good about this or, or you know, we don't want to put people down. But anyway, um, that, that he starts off in a place where we're thinking. And so I'm going to read just a couple little spots. From the very beginning of his... From the very beginning. theological... Book one, yeah. chapter one, it's called The Knowledge of God the Creator. And he, uh, his very first line here, number one, his first point is, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. So that's, that's a pretty key thought. Do you want me to continue on with these other, some, few other spots? Yeah, some, some spots in that op that opening paragraph. It's a long yeah. opening paragraph. but So there's a few spots, yeah. In one place, he also wrote in this opening paragraph, 
In the first place, no one can look upon himself without immediately turning his thoughts to the contemplation of God, in whom he, and he quotes from Acts 17.28, lives and moves, and I would add, and has his very being, or our very being. Um, and then says, for quite clearly, the mighty gifts with which we are endowed are hardly from ourselves. Indeed, our very being is nothing but subsistence in the one God. So that's, I thought was a pretty key statement there. And, and I'm sorry, this is written very theologically. And from a very long time ago. <laughs> yes. So then Calvin a little later goes on to write, for as a veritable world of miseries is to be found in mankind, and we are thereby despoiled of divine raiment, our shameful naked nakedness exposes a teeming horde of infamies. That's kind of interesting. Um, that, that that speaks just to the Genesis story, right? Nakedness, and, yeah, yeah, okay. And that we he he goes on to say something to the effect of um, we would we must be so stung by the consciousness of his own unhappiness as to attain at least some knowledge of God. And then right near the end of the paragraph, uh, Calvin then finishes off by saying, for what man in all the world would not gladly remain as he is? What man does not re remain as he is so long as he does not know himself? That is, while content with his own gifts and either ignorant or unmindful of his own misery. And then his final statement is accordingly the knowledge of ourselves not only arouses us to seek God but also as it were leads us by the hand to find him so that's just an interest those are some very interesting comments that um, that Calvin writes that seems so different and maybe help lead us into these ways in which God seeks to bring healing and repair to what damage was done in our relationship with God. Yeah, I think that's also one of those points of, of admitting that the world of human relations, is, it's not the way we think or feel it should be, that something's broken, something's been damaged. It's, you know, there's, certainly there's beautiful things in the world and human beings do wonderful, amazing things. Right. Uh, but there's also this feeling like, shouldn't we be more? Shouldn't there be more? Isn't there something wrong with the way we keep devastating each other? And Right. And, and so one of these tracks that God provides is through Abram and Sarai, as you call her, and eventually they're renamed Abraham and Sarah, that they will create a family of reconcilers who mm. will bring the world together again. Mm. So what... What happens? What what goes on there? Well, I think one of the things about bringing the world together again isn't just about, oh, can't we all get along? Okay. You know, and, and um, yeah, I think sometimes we become cynical and belittle that motivation. Of the, getting along. You know, can't, you know, people uh, will ridicule a wonderful song called Kumbaya, okay. which was a civil rights anthem of sorts to 
say those who are suffering and those who are broken, we want to shake off the oppressors and we're going to expect God to be on our side. I mean, it's a really, but we talk about, you know, those things, it's like, oh, uh, what? A kumbaya moment. A kumbaya moment. It's right. because of a source of ridicule. Yeah. Like, wait, isn't it a good thing that people want to be together? Yeah. And and so that's one track towards this reconciliation right. through Abraham and Sarah uh, having all these descendants, which we know as the Hebrew people. Right. And, and, and their job is to bring everybody back together. Right. To be a light to the nations. Right. Um, and yet, there, that doesn't fully form that way. So then there's a, another way that God works to have, to bring humanity back together, to bring kumbaya. <laughs> kumbaya a, real, a real kumbaya. And that's the prophets. And so the prophets continue to speak of a day or a time that something's going to happen in such a way that these disparate parts and even going back to uh, Genesis 10 and the, all those different nations, yes. they're all going to come back. They're they're all going to come back. And and one of the one of the passages that we frequently use in the Advent season is Isaiah 11, which speaks about this. And I do not have my Bible open real quickly, but but um, you know, in in this passage in Isaiah 11, it's you know this prophetic hope takes place on a mountain. Uh, can you okay. go ahead and read it? Which, which, which verse? I just started at the very beginning. Oh, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Okay, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the winged child shall put its hand in the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. Right. For the earth. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah. And, and, I didn't know where you wanted me to stop. Uh, yeah, it's a long passage, but it's, it's <laughs> one of the key phrases in there is on my holy mountain uh, and the description of this world in which uh, prey and predator are living in peace right right it, there's been art done about that oh, the, yeah, the that, quakers i think or the shakers or it was, someone it was, it was, who, uh, was it hicks the quaker uh the peaceful kingdom series, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's this this we're back to a mountain we're back to a mountain that reflects eden and that is that hope, all right? Okay. Now, uh, we won't go into the, the rest of this, but on following in this passage in, in Isaiah 11, we hear about uh, God's people who are left in Assyria from Egypt or Pathos, Cush, Elam, Sinar, uh, Hamath, from the coastlands of the sea, uh, let's see, Judah, Ephraim, 
um, Philistia, Philistia, Edom, Moab. We're getting all these different countries that were or regions that were listed in, in Genesis 10. They're all coming together. They're it's, coming to the holy mountain. And, and what is the purpose of human beings to come together? Reflect. Well, I suppose for coming together, not just to reflect, but also to restore that image of God within each yeah, of us. Yeah. You know, it. I, I, I do, when I look at a stranger, I want to affirm the image of God that is in them. But the, it's almost like the image of God is not in that person until I recognize it. There's, there's something about the coming together of people that creates a more full expression of the image of God. And yet not everyone is attuned to that and doesn't recognize that. And, and my hunch is when we exclude someone, we can't, we can't attain the image of God. And we are doing a lot of excluding as a whole. As a, as a culture, as, as a, a world. A, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so does that bring some new light to some other verses in the Bible? I, um, we should think about perhaps. Yes. And there's, there's a whole long, uh, conversation around, uh, you know, this root that comes up from the, the, or the stem that comes up, up from the root of Jesse that was in that, uh, right. Isaiah 11. Uh, but just in passing, I'd say if anybody wants to read Isaiah chapters 42 through 49, dig in and we hear these repeated themes about there is this suffering servant. There is this one who is actively engaged in this work of restoration. And yet they suffer. And yet they suffer. Okay. Now, the the history, I guess, of this 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 uh, shoot from the stump of Jesse. Uh-huh is also personified uh, the epitome of it really it's it's just boiled down into a really concentrated form in daniel 7. a lot of us i don't know we don't spend a whole lot of time in daniel right um i mean like when's the last time you read it i don't yeah <laughs> it's coming up <laughs> when's the last time you contemplated all the uh, apocalyptic imagery and all the beasts and all that crazy stuff but it's it's not one of those places we spend much time i think because it just seems so weird perhaps i don't know uh, but when we want to take a little time to look at the, those passages okay and recognize that um in chapter seven of daniel especially verse 14 there is something that's that there's a phrase that's used that is translated as the son of man. And, and we want to hold on to that, that element of the story because we find that when Jesus shows up, that when Jesus speaks of himself in the third person, or the first person, I always get my persons mixed up. He rarely says, I think this, I think that, I will do this. He frequently defined, refers to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man will do this. The Son of Man will do that. That's Jesus' kind of self-reference. And that phrase, the Son of Man, shows up in Daniel. And the, the most literal translation of the word Son of Man doesn't carry the gender of son, um, or at least the interpretation, I should say, the most literal interpretation carries, this is the one human. This is what a human being looks like. This is the human one. 
Um, the uh, a newer translation, the Common English Bible, is the one that uses this phrase, the human one, uh, and and then uses that instead of the one who appears like a son of man. I think is, is how Daniel says it. And you said chapter seven, <laughs> verse fourteen. I believe. I I see something here in verse thirteen that I wonder if that's part of it. So just to get the context, would you read up to verse 14? Ooh, well, let's see, maybe that's, that's pretty long. Let's go to, um, well, let me tell the story. Okay. So verses one through seven, um, there, it's the first year of, in Babylon. So we're back to Babylon. Babylon's a persistent character in, the, in, the, in this story. We can't forget Babylon. So it's King, King Belshazzar and Daniel had a dream. Now remember, Daniel is a political prisoner. He's a prisoner of conscience. He's, right. Because uh, he's not going to bow down to the king exactly. the gods of Babylon. Yeah. And so he has this dream, and these four beasts come out of the out of the sea. Yeah. You know, the first one's like a lion with eagle's wings. The second one's like a bear. There was another one that was like a leopard, and there was a fourth beast, terrifying and hideous. And I'm going to read from the Common English Bible: terrifying and hideous, with extraordinary power, and with massive iron teeth. As it ate and crushed, its feet smashed whatever was left over. It was different from all the other beasts before it, and it had ten horns. I was staring at the horns when suddenly another small horn came up between them. Three of the earlier horns were ripped out to make room for it. On this new horn were eyes like human eyes and a mouth that bragged and bragged. <laughs> As I and, and so Daniel's got this dream. It's like, what in the world is going on this with this dream? Um, yeah, and, and he says, as I was watching, thrones reigned up, and the ancient one took his seat. So this is this is God, God the the Creator, Yahweh is referred to as the ancient one. And this is sometimes, I guess, where we maybe get some of these, you know, images of God as an old man on a throne with white hair, because you know, yeah, the ancient one took his seat, and his clothes were like. His clothes were white like wool. His hair was like lamb's wool. His throne was made of flame, wheels of blazing fire. And get on to this. And, then, and, and of this dream, Daniel says, he kept watching and, um, let's see. The beast was put to death. The beast were, the, yeah, the beasts were, were put to death. They were brought to an end. Um, the moon was taken away. And so basically these beasts are done and yeah 13 as i continued to watch this night vision of mine daniel says i suddenly saw one like a human being coming with the heavenly clouds he came to the ancient one and was presented presented before him rule glory and kingship were given to him all peoples nations and languages will serve him his rule is an everlasting one it will never pass away his kingship is indestructible a lot of stuff's going on here. Yeah. But we have those images from that second episode about this these horrific beasts of Babylon. Right. That are persistent characters and we still have to deal with them today. They haven't gone away. They yeah, they're they perennial. Continue. Yeah. Um, and Daniel is maybe dreaming of those beasts because he's heard the stories. And he's in Babylon. Babylon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and and he's, his dream says they're going to get wiped out. And the this one this, like a human being it will will be the one who then brings all people, nation, languages back together. It's again this theme of God is saying we all need to come together. We all need human 
the human family to be reunited, to be restored. And, and it's not even for this, like, oh, so we can all go to heaven together. This is this world. This is earthy stuff. Okay. And people seem to be afraid of earthy stuff sometimes. Or really? they want to say, no, it's for the next world. This world is what it is. Yeah. There's no hope for us. And yet there is hope. That that just continually shows up, at least in this. If, if, I, if I want, the Bible story is the one I want to guide my life. And it's the one that keeps telling me the earth is important and what we do in, the, in our lives is crucial. And what God wants us to do is come together. Okay. Oh, that makes me think of uh, the Beatles, Beatles song. Come together. Yeah, I, I won't try that. Um, so um, you, you mentioned in, in, you mentioned to me, John eight twelve that, that this verse where it talks about Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That this is somehow uh, connected and get, and then when we think of what has gone on here and what Isaiah says, what Daniel says, that this gives us a new way of thinking about Jesus being the light of the world. How so? Yeah, it's a, it's a series of connections because we find here, we, we're, we're in the Daniel passage, we're talking about clouds, right? Mm-hmm. And how is God made present to the people of the, of the Hebrew people throughout their journeying? Mm-hmm. It's in a cloud by by day and fire by night. Right. Yeah. And and so this idea of a of a fire, a light that shows this is where the holy of holies is. This is where God dwells. And so when Jesus uses this phrase, "I am the light of the world," it's not like saying, "Hey, I'm this light bulb that illumines things." You know, I'm, I'm not like a good idea that helps you see per, you know perceive things differently. It's this because these I am claims that, John, that Jesus makes in John. Yeah, they're they're basically ways of he's saying I'm Yahweh. Yeah, right. And so he's saying that more so I'm bringing I'm that light that's going to draw those nations back yeah. to the mountain. So it's in in some ways this is incredibly familiar phrase from John. I'm the light of the world. I mean, yeah, we love that. We yeah. love that. But but it's 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 Jesus claiming for himself this role of the the human one or the one like a son of man in Daniel, who's bringing everybody together. Back together, rejoining us, refashioning us. And and this whole idea then of the kumbaya and, um, uh, you know, come by here, Lord, come by here. That's what kumbaya means, is not something that has to be fake or unreal as well as even the grand old coca-cola song i'd like to teach the world to that has overcome us in this world where we say there is no pie in the sky there is nothing like peace or having harmony among people groups we're we're flat out wrong on that in reality as as human beings on earth unless we start to walk with god towards that healing of the nations, towards that bringing 
people together. So, and, and this is where we got to theologize a little bit. You okay. know, we got we to put some pieces together because you know we we've got this very ancient story from before the beginning of time. We'll get to say it one more that antediluvian antediluvian period. Yes. And and so we've got um, this ancient story of trying to figure out how did we get into the mess we're in. We have these prophetic hopes that that there is a way that God is still trying to work in this world to bring this family back together. Uh, and we have this, this um, way that Jesus is seen as fulfilling that role of the human one. Now, as I was saying earlier, my image of God in me and the image of God in you, they're, 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 they're broken, they're fragmentary, they find its fullness as we come together. But, but Jesus is presented as the one who's got the whole package in right. himself. Right, he's um, got that full divine image. So, so for and Jesus, full human image together. And those are not contradictory. Right, and we've made them so. Yeah. We have made them so. This idea that somehow fully God and fully human is somehow like, how does that work? I never thought of that before, that they're not contradictory. Yeah. Be, and, but part of the problem is, is we as humans, when we think about oh, who are we as humans, we always go back to Adam and Eve and the fall and the garden rather than looking at the person of Jesus. And we, who he shows us and, he and, is. And so that, that, that idea that there's something about this Jesus person, because Jesus is the full image of God, fully fully God and fully human. Um, yeah. And those things aren't separate. That the image of God is fully in Jesus. And what's interesting is Paul will make the point that to say that Jesus is not only fully human in the image of God, he is the one in which the fullness of God chose to dwell. There is no separation there. And I think the writer of Hebrews basically says the same thing too, that it is in Jesus we have the full expression of God's yeah, very yeah. being. And, and so the, the, the issue then becomes, well, what is, what is Jesus doing here? And Paul will, in, in Romans 5, uh, 12, really familiar phrase, I think, or verse for a lot of people, just as through one human being, sin came into the world. And again, I'm reading through the Common English Bible, which really, really works not to make gender-specific uh, mm -hmm. claims. So mm -hmm. as through one human being, sin came into the world and death came through sin. So death has come to everyone since everyone has sinned. Um, and moving on. And then moving on to verse 15. But the free gift of Christ isn't like Adam's failure. If many people died through that one person, through what one person did wrong, God's grace is multiplied even more for the many people with the gift of the one person, Jesus Christ, that comes through grace. Paul goes through it, makes an effort to say that this one human being, the fully human one, un, not, not, not undoes, it, it, it picks up where, where Adam fell away. It's, it's, if God were to choose another Adam to start all over again, he did so with Jesus. Okay. And, and in the new revised standard version at the end, it just says that this, this gift of grace is abounded for the many. It's, it's abundant. It's yeah, for the yeah. many. I think that means probably for all. 
right. it's not just for a few like you were saying earlier you know you went to walmart and those who answered got the free paring knife um it's it's not like the idea that it's a country club and only those who have paid the um entry fee get to come in it's or, or it's only offered to certain people because they are wealthy enough or whatever but it's like costco it's it's open to everybody to come into the store only those who have bought the membership can buy anything i guess i don't know if that's that's probably not the best analogy but maybe it works but a bit, a it's, bit. it's kind of moving toward that trying to find a way to to say it but all are welcome right all are able to enter in and so one of the things about adam is it it's re, it's representative of all humanity it's adam, not right. it's not just one guy somewhere some guy named adam yeah um, <laughs> and paul picks it up again in first uh first corinthians 15 21 since um death came through a human being the resurrection of the dead came through one too in the same way that everyone dies in Adam, so everyone will be given life in, in Christ. Paul really wants to set Adam and Jesus as these um, countertypes. It's like everything that Adam was intended to be, Jesus has. Everything that Adam didn't quite get right, Jesus fulfills. Okay. Um, it's, it's the start again. And if it's the start again, the start of what? the start of that new humanity that we talk about, I suppose, the new way of living, a new way of approaching God, and a new way of interacting with one another, relating with one another. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there's still a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Um, is, is this image of God something that is active now is it is it waiting to be renewed or activated somehow um is that something that we can bring up in the next yeah i think we need to talk about kind of like what is it what what's next i mean how do we become human i mean that, that's you know fully human and to be fully human means to kind of look like jesus to look like jesus right he wasn't just a model or something he he teaches us yes. what it means and, and how do, I don't know, is it, yeah, but yeah, what comes next with that? What comes next with being human? Yeah. That's what we're working on here. You know, and, and I just, <laughs> it, it, again, it just kind of strikes me as odd. I don't know why I never really thought seriously about that before. I just kind of assumed, oh yeah, we're human. Me too. And I bet you a lot of us have kind of felt that way. And it's, it's not always easy to stop and contemplate. Kind of like uh, John Calvin was saying at the beginning of the Institutes, when you start to begin thinking about who you are, you begin to start thinking about, well, who is, where did I come from? Who is God? What is this all about? Yeah. And we're maybe getting to a point where we can start moving toward, yeah. a little more toward that. And I think part of it is to, kind of almost some more theologizing now. It's like, what do we do with what we've got? Yeah. Okay. We, we've got the story. We know the trajectory of the story. Where does it go? What do we do? How do well, we? All right. Well, that's this uh, podcast for now. Obviously, we need to work a little bit on that part, and we will. So, uh, thank you for listening. 
and I'm Carla. I'm Craig. And we are not holier than you. <laughs> so long. All right. Well, hey, thank you for uh, listening to our conversation. Not holier than you. <laughs> uh, and boy, we really like that title because I think it's true. Correct. <laughs> I thought I'd have to say it so quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm not holier than anybody else. Oh, I thought else you meant here. me. Okay. No, no, no. So I'm talking to, about myself. Uh, so we're a couple of pastors. Yep. We pastor a small congregation of Anabaptist Mennonites here in, in Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Yep. We're just learning this stuff and trying to figure it out along with you. So if you if we say something that's heretical or horrible or you think we're just wrong, that's okay. We probably we might be. We're learning as we go. Well, I don't think we're heretical in no. any way, but um, <laughs> I try a little. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, we are glad that you joined us, and we hope that you'll join us again. Right. All right. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.